This is a Cross and Crown Church production. For other resources, please visit crosscrownchurch.com. Book title, The Kingdom Driven Life. Author, Sunday at Elijah. Published by Cornerstone Publishing. Copyright 2015. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 7, Promotion and Expansion of the Kingdom. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Matthew eleven twelve. The mandate of the church is to promote kingdom expansion on the earth. So, it is vital that as believers we grasp the proper relationship of the church to Christ and to his kingdom, as I explained earlier. Otherwise, the church becomes a mere caricature of what Christ intended and suffers irrelevance to the kingdom of God, to believers, and to the divine purpose for which it was conceived. As I have read the gospel accounts of the mission of Jesus, as well as the Acts of the Apostles, I have come to believe that the heartbeat of God is not just for us to build a great ministry for Him, no matter how large and influential it may become. An ecclesiastical body such as the Roman Catholic Church can dominate cultures and governments for centuries, govern tremendous wealth of properties, etc., and yet not fulfill the Great Commission. There are other internationally impacting Protestant denominations which were spawned during times of great revival and ingathering of souls, but have since lost their influence among unbelievers and believers alike. They became ingrown, characterized by internal power struggles, corporate ladder-climbing among the clergy, and arguments over their religious traditions. As a result, they have failed to be relevant to present-day culture. The compassion of Christ for the lost has not changed. His mandate for all believers to go into the world and preach the gospel has not changed. It is the self-seeking, success-pursuing minds of religious leaders that deviate from the simplicity of the gospel of the kingdom, leading their parishioners astray from the biblical definition of church. Admittedly, Churches are established with a variety of visions regarding the calling of God for their congregation. With that vision and calling comes a special grace to help them successfully fulfill their God-given mandate. There are churches called to be a local church serving individuals in their community. There are churches called to wield a godly influence over the life of an entire city. Other churches are called to have a nationwide impact. And there are churches called to be equipped to raise up leaders and help establish churches that will impact entire nations. A Larger Vision There came a time when I discovered that my goal of being a great pastor was not enough. Pastoring the great church God had established was not the full extent of his calling for my life. When I experienced this deep dissatisfaction, I set my heart to take another journey into God. I determined to seek Him until He would speak to me about my personal mandate. When he did, I discovered a much larger vision than I ever dreamed possible. What I learned at the end of that adventure was that God was not expecting me to pastor a local church, but to accept his calling to be a deliverer of a nation. I was not used to hearing people talk like that, so when that realization came to me, it was a little frightening. I began to understand in that divine encounter that the great church he had given me was the instrument that he had ordained to raise up believers and powerful leaders who would take the kingdom outside the walls of the church building and help to bring about the redemption of our nation. I began to view my pulpit as a platform to address not only the local church, but the entire nation as my parish. 
That meant every member of our church had to find ways to be relevant to every aspect of society. They had to learn to do as Jesus did and eat with sinners, seek the lost, and bring redemption to them. When the kingdom leaves the church, the church stops living for herself. The eyes of the church are open to the fact that we are not just attending services to have fellowship and worship God corporately. We are here because we are needed by God to be co-laborers with Him, to be equipped to receive His assignments and become His hands to restore the peoples of the earth back to Himself. Nothing wrong with the harvest. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9, 35-38. What is happening here? Jesus was going about the city one day, and he saw a crowd of people, much like you would see in any large city. But Matthew's observation was that Jesus was moved with compassion for these people. In some way, Jesus showed his loving concern for their weariness, their lostness. His disciples witnessed Jesus' compassion for these sheep having no shepherd. First of all, it is interesting to note that Jesus in other places refers to unbelievers as goats and to believers as sheep. See Matthew 25. But Jesus was looking at this multitude of unsaved people and understood that they were not goats in God's perspective. They were potential sheep. He was not faulting them for being lost. They were scattered sheep who needed a shepherd. He does not say they were scattered because they were sinners, but because they had no shepherd to guard them and care for them. Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand their responsibility for the harvest. The harvest is synonymous with our modern term revival, as it refers to an ingathering of souls. He was explaining that the problem does not lie with a lack of revival. There is nothing wrong with the harvest. It is plentiful. But the laborers, the shepherds, are few. As I mentioned earlier, simply praying for revival is not the answer to the harvest. I tell my church that it is ignorance to pray for revival. Revival is plenteous. So how do you pray? You need to pray for people who are supposed to be shepherds and laborers to have their eyes open to their primary assignments. Pray yourself to have revelation of the kingdom priority. Pray for freedom from distraction, including the focus on church work, so that you can lift up your eyes to see the revival, the harvest of souls that is plenteous. William Booth, founder of the now Worldwide Salvation Army organization, declared, quote, We must wake ourselves up or somebody else will take our place and bear our cross and thereby rob us of our crown, end quote. He was filled with righteous passion to reach the downtrodden with the gospel message by going to where they lived in their blindness and moral depravity. Born in Nottingham, England in 1829, he was sent to work in a pawnbroker's shop at the age of 13, to help support his mother and sisters. He did not enjoy his job, but it made him keenly aware of the poverty in which people lived and the humiliation and degradation they suffered because of it. As a teenager, he was born again and immediately spent much of his spare time trying to persuade other people to become Christians too. 
As an adult, he became a Methodist minister, traveling around, preaching, and sharing God's word to all who would listen. But he did not feel he had found his destiny. In 1865, he resigned his position as a Methodist minister and began preaching to the poorest of the people in the streets of the East End of London. Some ministers who heard him preaching were so impressed that they asked him to lead a series of meetings they were holding in a large tent. As he preached to the poor and wretched there, he soon realized he had found his destiny. Booth soon formed his own movement, which he called the Christian Mission. For years he preached in these English ghettos, suffering wounds from rocks thrown at him and becoming discouraged with the results. Then, in 1878, he changed the name of his mission to the Salvation Army. The idea of an army fighting sin caught the imagination of the people, and the army began to grow rapidly. Booth's fiery sermons and sharp imagery drove the message home, and more and more people were converted to become a soldier in the Salvation Army, accepting their destiny to bring others to Christ. By the time Booth was promoted to glory in 1912, the army was at work in 58 countries. William Booth was consumed with the destiny God had given him, declaring, quote, While women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry, as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. End God began to give me understanding that every member of the church is a shepherd. The Apostle Paul clearly teaches the importance of the five key equipping gifts of the church for equipping believers. And a pastor gifted as an equipping fivefold pastor is to view the members of his or her church as pastors to the city, to the multitude who are scattered without shepherds. You send these shepherds out of the church into every aspect of society to meet these scattered sheep. According to our religious mindset, we think that the place of the shepherd is in the church building. But Jesus pointed the disciples to the scattered sheep as he viewed them milling about the city without a shepherd. The sheep are supposed to be in the field, and the shepherd is supposed to be with them in the field. God made me understand that you will never get the whole city to come to your church. The place where the city is supposed to be pastored is in the field where the sheep are living and working. That is God's agenda for the kingdom to leave the church. The people who come to the church are supposed to be trained to be on-site shepherds in the community, city, or nation to pastor the people that God has sent them to pastor. So the sheep are scattered because the people who are supposed to shepherd them are not aware of their responsibility as believers. They are Christians who come to church to do God's service. While there is a legitimate service to the house of God, it should not be at the expense of your labor in the harvest field. He needs your service to bring in the harvest, to care for the lost sheep out there. The reason you come to church on Sundays is to get trained for your ministry outside of the church, where you are a pastor, a God carrier. The kingdom of God is within you. The Redeemer is within you. And you must find your place of service to reach the lost sheep he loves. That is his heartbeat, his great compassion, which he wants to reveal through you so that his glory can fill the earth through multiplied redemption. I believe Jesus did not call the multitude goats because he understood their plight. They were simply lost sheep. As soon as you see people as unbelievers, you erect a wall so that you will not be contaminated. You have the mentality that you are the Christian and they are all unsaved people. 
That sense of superiority raises an invisible wall between the church and the world. It makes Christians feel like an elite society of believers who are not like others. You need to look at unsaved people as your lost brothers and sisters, potential believers, pastors, and God carriers. Potentially all lost sheep can be saved because Jesus has paid the price for their salvation. We ought not look at anyone as outside of the grace of God to reach them. They cannot be saved without receiving Him as Lord and Savior. They have to be born again. And they cannot be born again as long as they are scattered with no shepherd. To be a shepherd does not mean to be a preacher. It means to care for the needs of people and guide them into green pastures, love them, and let the love of Jesus draw them to Himself. What is evangelism? In my church, we don't do typical church evangelism. I teach my church that everyone is to seek God for their promised land, not just a good-paying job, which is where they are called and equipped to present the gospel message. Their goal is to be God-carriers, and they understand that their place of employment is a platform for sharing the love of Jesus Christ and extending the principles of the kingdom. Salary is not the only compensation for their labor. They are not employees. They are primarily agents of God, His servants, kingdom carriers. They are here to live the lifestyle of the kingdom. That is what it means to seek first the kingdom, to seek its advancement throughout the earth. That is the meaning of life as a believer. Because when they leave the church, the kingdom of God leaves the church, these believers are motivated with the priority of spreading the kingdom to every sphere of life where they find themselves. They see the pastoring of lost sheep as their prime objective in life. That is the primary reason why two million people have come with them to church during the first years to get saved. They came with their pastor, the shepherd who demonstrated loving care for their soul. When pastors ask me how we are doing evangelism to have such a growing congregation, I share this evangelism plan with them. It is simply training your people to lift up their eyes and see that there is nothing wrong with the harvest. It involves teaching them that they are called to be laborers with God. That is the biblical strategy for evangelism. Thankfully, our problem is not that no one has been saved in our church for a year. Our problem is what to do with the harvest that is so plentiful that our nets are breaking. That wonderful problem is a result of teaching believers to take the kingdom outside of the church and to have the right mindset about their calling and priority. All of our people are trained to see themselves as a shepherd or pastor in the field where they live and work. They come to church to pray for the territory for which they are responsible. They fast one or two days a week for the people they are supposed to be caring for. The reason they study the, in the Bible school or take other university studies is to improve certain skills to be able to communicate the gospel better to the people for whom they are responsible. With this perspective, church makes sense. Church members do not attend church for 10 years and become bored or contentious, deciding to look for a better church. Believers who connect with God's heartbeat for the lost will become established in the church. They will humbly seek God for empowerment to be an effective God-carrier in their sphere of influence. People who do not make the spreading of the kingdom their priority just come to church week after week doing the same thing, which is suffocating, robbing them of life. That is why people run from one church to another. I tell my church that my assignment as their pastor is to get rid of you, to get you out of the pews. That is my assignment. No one has a calling to sit in the pews of a church. The only calling we have is to go. 
and that calling is for everyone. So when the kingdom leaves the church, having been properly equipped, there is potential for mass salvations in your community, city, or nation. Because of the phenomenal growth of our church in our city, I've been accused of using black magic to bring people into church. The influence of our members in every sphere of society is so effective, people think we have millions of church members instead of thousands. The fact is that though many people have received salvation through our church, and in, in these in turn have influenced other people, over 250,000 people report that they have been touched by our church because they came and received salvation and are involved in the church in some way. We recognize 100,000 active members all over the country. We refer to our church as a church without walls. Every member of the church is training to become a faithful laborer in the harvest. That is revival. And it is spreading throughout our city, our nation, and into other nations around the world. Seven spheres of influence. There has to be a specific strategy developed for being effective in reaping the harvest. Changing the metaphor, in order for the kingdom to leave the church, believers need to know how to become shepherds. So I began to teach our people to discover their promised land in relation to the seven major spheres of influence, according to sociologists, which I listed earlier. These main categories of life pursuits include business and economics, arts and culture, sports, social-slash-spiritual pursuits, education, entertainment and media, and the political arena. My goal was to help them to identify where they are personally destined to function as a kingdom builder where they live their lives outside of the church. Without that understanding, they may wander around in the general category of their calling, but live in confusion and frustration without finding their specific niche. For example, those who are equipped by God to function in social or spiritual pursuits may tend to want to be pastors of a church. That desire can be misguided because leaders in the church have emphasized the idea that greatness in the kingdom means to become a great pastor or teacher. But when people who desire to function in the social-spiritual sphere understand that it is much broader than serving a church as a pastor, they begin to explore the full calling they have been given. Teaching in an inner-city high school can have a much greater impact on young lives than preaching a sermon behind the pulpit of a church, for example. Sharing the love of Jesus to hurting, desperate youth and giving them hope of finding fulfillment in life is taking territory for the king, restoring the kingdom of God to the earth. Unwed mothers, alcoholics, drug addicts, divorcees, veterans, the poor, and many other lost and hurting elements of society are calling for anointed God carriers. They need to experience the love of a kingdom person to care for them and restore them to their Savior. In our church in Kiev, we have taught the people that wherever they have a burden, that could be their ministry. Therefore, we encourage them to start their own social organizations, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, or NPOs, non-profit organizations. Sometimes these are apart from their jobs or professions. Through these organizations, they can be involved in the outreach they are destined to fulfill. Today we have members of our church involved in such organizations, addressing almost every problem in society. The fact is that the church is supposed to be concerned with every challenge or ill of the society. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth, so through our church and all of the aforementioned categories of distinct fears of society, 
We are helping to bring people to Christ in resolving their problems. These organizations were not started by the church, but actually by individual members who have a burden for that particular area of life. The organizations belong to the individual believers, not to the local churches. Of course, our individual believers still recognize and honor the spiritual leadership of the pastor and leaders of their local churches. Thus, people who have a burden for unwed mothers, divorcees, etc., go out and start organizations to reach out to them. Others might have a burden for war veterans or for the poor or another need represented by a segment of society. Whatever organization they start becomes a platform for them to minister the gospel to that group of people. Spiritual Social Sphere The spiritual sphere of life is linked with the social sphere, according to sociology. But I want to address the spiritual arena separately for a moment because it causes so many believers confusion when seeking to discover their promised land. When church leaders emphasize only classical ministry positions in a church as a potential territory for serving God, people who are not called to pastor a church can become frustrated. They feel a desire to help meet social and spiritual needs but are not called to classical ministry. They may try to compete with the pastor and create a split in the church instead of finding their promised land of social or spiritual service where they have been called to be effective, fruitful, and fulfilled. When I began to teach this principle of finding your personal destiny, people began to realize that they are not called to be pastors or pulpit ministers. They understood that every member could actually be fulfilled without necessarily fighting for the pulpit, which could result in splitting the church. They are free to fulfill their destiny because the pastor encourages them to go and fulfill their personal destiny and calling. The next question that people ask is, what happens to those who are called as pastors and pulpit ministers? Well, as soon as I or they recognize that they have this calling, they go through a training process in the church to prepare them to become pastors. Then they are encouraged to step out of our church and launch their own ministries. As their pastor, besides giving these new pastors members from the central church to help them establish their new congregation, I also finance their churches for at least one year to help them get established. When aspiring pastors and ministers see this kind of support, there is basically no desire to split our church because they know they are being helped to come into their own destiny as pastors. As a result, we have established 35 churches just in the city of Kiev all of which have different registered names, identities, offices, and bookkeeping entities. This standard of helping pastors get established largely explains why church splits are not a problem for our church in Kiev. That is my agenda as an equipping pastor, to get rid of my parishioners. So you want to be a pastor like me? Let me help you. I sponsor you for a year in your own territory and help you become the pastor you are called to become. And that way, we have been able to establish over 700 churches in the last 10 years. Helping the poor slash social sphere. There are those who are called specifically to minister to the needy. Their hearts are moved with compassion when they see hurting people in many aspects of society's ills. The homeless, orphans, women's issues of abortion and domestic violence, single mothers, prisoners, young people without fathers, and as many other social issues as you can think of are crying out for God-carriers to bring the kingdom of heaven to them. I ask our people to present to our leadership 
the area of need for which they feel a burden. Then I tell them that we will form a platform by which to reach that troubled segment of humanity. I don't encourage them as an individual just to try to minister to addicts, for example. Instead, we look for others with that same burden and form a team to establish a drug rehabilitation center. We have established over 3,000 social organizations, of which 600 are registered with the government in our nation. Individuals who have a proper training for the field of social service in which they are involved establish these. Our church is an umbrella for over 600 officially registered social organizations meeting the needs of many different aspects of society's hurting people. Each organization has its own leadership and a team of people working with them. They are not registered as a church because local churches have a different role and purpose. Their role is to become a voice for wholeness in a specific sphere of society, teaching the principles of the kingdom of God. For example, marriage counselors teach young couples how to establish a strong home based on Christian principles. Drug rehabilitation centers help young people turn away from their addictions and lead productive lives. They are so effective that the government listens to them. The social groups listen to them. The unions listen to them. They are functioning everywhere. We have several hundred rehabilitation centers and over 50 homes for street children alone registered with the government, NGOs or NPOs. Political Arena In our nation, it is not unusual to have many different political parties championing their own specific agenda. If you feel a calling to persuade people in the political arena toward Christian policies, I encourage you to join an existing political party or to form your own. Carefully planned with articulated political agendas, there are three political parties that have come out of our church, and other members have joined existing parties to champion Christian values in the city and nation. In our last city election for Kiev, there were 48 candidates running to become mayor of the city of 4 million people. Two of the candidates were from our church, and one of them was elected mayor of Kiev. This man did not consider himself to be a classical politician. He saw himself as a businessman. But when I began to teach regarding the seven spheres of society, I explained that one way to recognize your calling is to consider what is annoying you. Whatever ill of society you see that irritates you indicates that you have a burden for that area of need. It matters to you. It may seem that others are not doing it right or are not doing enough. You have ideas of how to make it work, how to make it better. I tell my people not to whine or complain about what you see. Do something about it. That is your burden for extending the kingdom in that sphere of life. This businessman recognized that he had a burden for city government and understood ways that they could do things better for the good of the people. It grieved him to hear of corruption and injustice when it seemed so unnecessary to him. Because of my influence, he began to understand his calling to civic leadership, and God opened the doors for him to be elected mayor of Kiev. His party controls 30% of the city parliament. Because of this understanding, during the last election, we had several hundred members of our church running for political office. They had established teams through the years to gain positions of influence in the political arena where their goal is to extend the principles of the kingdom in civic and social arenas through the political platform. Many in our congregations are making a difference in the political sphere as they accept the challenge to bring kingdom values, principles, and lifestyle 
to our government. Educational Sphere Titiana Galushka is a member of our church who dropped out of school in the seventh grade, got pregnant, became a drug addict and a prostitute. She came to our church and received Christ as her Savior, but her self-esteem was battered and she felt she would never become a person of value. As she continued attending services for six years, she began to believe in the transformation that God was working in her life. She decided to go back to school and take evening classes to graduate with her daughter. Then she enrolled in a university for the purpose of training so that she could help prevent young people from taking the path to immorality that she had taken. She has authored a brilliant curriculum for that purpose, which has been adopted by the Department of Education of Ukraine. Other members have written special curricula for high schools on ethics and moral living. Because there was not previously presented programs like these, the Department of Education of Ukraine has adopted them to be taught in the high schools of our nation. These are the kinds of things that can happen when the kingdom leaves the pews of the church. Men's ministries have also flourished in our church as we realize that no one is teaching boys how to become men, husbands, and fathers. We began to consider how many of the problems of our society were connected to this lack of understanding of manhood. There are curricula for teaching professions like professors and physicians, but few classes to teach youth to be a real man. And there are few role models who exemplify Christian values in these areas. The same dilemma faces young women regarding how to become a wife and mother and the proper way to raise children. Without spiritual guidance, the girls become pawns for sexual pleasure and never really understand how to establish a marriage or home that will last. People who have a burden for these needs in our church came together and formed the Institute of Family and Fatherhood. They wrote a curricula addressing issues from dating to marriage, to pregnancy, to being a successful father and mother. That program was presented to the government, and they were so impressed that they now sponsor the entire institute and pay all of our workers as well. Business and Economics One of the members of our church was a successful businesswoman. She heard me teach that the purpose of business is not just to make a lot of money and bring tithes and offerings to the church. I taught that such a mindset represented much too small a vision or purpose. I explained that the main purpose of business is to bring the principles of God's kingdom into a particular sphere of business and extend his reign. The primary mission of a business person is to bring the influence of God to that area of business. I teach business professionals how to strategize and release the power of the prosperity of the kingdom through their business. I establish schools to teach these strategies so that people who are called to business don't just sell their products. They are involved in communicating the principles of the kingdom through their business. The fact that you earn money from your business simply means that God gave you the opportunity and talent to serve Him in the arena of business. Have you considered that one of your roles is to partner with others who are doing a service for the king? Have you considered that this ministry or service may need funds which can be generated from marketplace activities? When you pay tithes from your business, you are fulfilling a biblical obedience in surrendering to His will. Malachi 3.10 Offerings are also a biblical way to serve God with finances. But you understand that all the money belongs to Him. He has simply made you the manager and steward of your finances. A businesswoman from my church heard my message and allowed it to impact her own life. She had been an alcoholic herself for 30 years and felt she would never be free or live a life of worth. 
As she listened to the word, she was delivered from alcoholism and began to form a team of former alcoholics and drug addicts to minister to needy people. They established a rehabilitation center in our church, and to date, there have been 10,000 people in our church who have been delivered from drugs and alcohol through their ministry. They have trained other teams to establish rehabilitation centers, and at present there are over 600 centers across our nation helping people be set free through the power of the gospel. Remember, the goal is not to just reap a small harvest in one church or city, but to reclaim the entire promised land, little by little. As you train those who have been delivered, the vision is to reclaim all of society from drug abuse and alcoholism. A very unique business outreach that we have established is called Club 1000. The goal of Club 1000 is to develop 1,000 millionaires in five years. These are not to be simply successful businessmen and women, but Christians with high moral standards and kingdom values and a focus on extending the kingdom. Aimed at the financial development of each of its members, it conducts numerous purposeful training seminars that address issues involved in the deliberate habitual development of wealth leading to becoming a millionaire. With several hundred members, the club holds regular sessions and meetings which have resulted in establishing trust and forming strong networks between the members for the realization and success of high-income projects. As the result of effective cooperation of these business teams, they have organized models of economic development in real estate, construction, internet technologies, stock exchange activities, consulting, wedding agencies, tourism, and health activities. Committees have been formed to facilitate these pursuits, including land, banking, business project committees, and others. Members of Club 1000 take an active civil role in many social projects as well, including the Social Organization for Mothers of Ukraine, the International Mission for Revival of Nations, etc. They are welcoming new associates who want to make an impact on society through the world of finance. For more information about the business sphere and Club 1000, read my book, Money Won't Make You Rich. Sports Arena Perhaps the sports arena seems irrelevant to some for extending the kingdom of God because it represents only recreation and fun. Yet, stadiums are overflowing with hundreds of thousands of fans around the world who enjoy watching their teams or individual athletes compete in every imaginable kind of sport. It seems logical that God is interested in redeeming these fans for his purposes. He is looking for born-again believers who will be God-carriers in the arena of sports venues. Morgan Shepard has been driving in the American NASCAR Sprint Cup series of races for over 20 years. He has not been a big winner, but his main focus is not on winning the race, but on winning souls. An article was published called Good Shepherd, Driver Focused More on Winning Souls Than Races, tells the story. When he travels to the racetrack every weekend, he has two jobs. The first is to get his Faith Motorsports entry into the starting lineup and finish as high up in the standings as possible. But the second job, and the one he places the most emphasis on, is using his Victory in Jesus racing ministry to spread his faith in Jesus to as many people as possible. 
Anyone who's heard Shepard share his testimony knows he's not afraid to tell it like it is, and he makes no bones about the fact that there are a lot of souls out there for the taking among the ranks of NASCAR fans. Recently, he has moved higher up in the standings, and he says he likes to think his recent success will only serve to increase his ability to serve God. Quote, I've seen such a good opportunity being in the sport. It's my mission field to encourage people to better their lives. And doing that by carrying the Jesus logo on the hood of the car, we've been able to reach people all over the world. I was just amazed to get fan mail from Russia, Germany, Australia, and all over the world saying they appreciate our stand in racing. I like to think that Jesus logo on the hood gets people thinking. End quote. One viewer from Africa who saw Shepard on TV talking about a young man named Josh Hill, who was hit by a drunk driver, was himself an alcoholic. This was one of the afflictions that plagued Shepard's life before he got saved. Quote, This guy heard me tell about it, and then when I prayed, he received Christ. He sent us an email, and he even sent one to the church I go to. All the way from Africa, he sought us out and encouraged us with what a difference it had made in his life. We know we're doing something to point people in the right direction, and I've got many, many stories like that. What's happened to people by us being there? End quote. Athletes who find their platform for sharing the love of Jesus in a sports arena can become role models for young and old alike and wield great influence for bringing them to Christ. Another powerful example of a lifelong witness to the kingdom reality in this arena is the American football coach, Tony Dungy. For 30 years, he has been an admired and highly successful football player and then head coach in the National Football League. Upon Tony's recent announcement of retirement, his peers in that arena, television commentators and analysts of the game of football, asked each other if they had ever heard Tony Dungy say a negative word about anyone or lose his temper. Their answers were all the same. They had only heard Tony speaking softly and in an encouraging tone to everyone, including his team. This is more remarkable in an arena where macho strength is usually demonstrated with screaming marked by profanity to correct the mistakes that were made during the game. Tony's goal was to change the culture of professional football by bringing the kingdom principles of respect and decency in all his dealings with players and other personnel in the NFL. Through his godly lifestyle, he demonstrated the values of the kingdom and redefined the concept of the strength of a man's success. Tony Dungy wrote a book titled Quiet Strength, The Principles, Practices, and Priorities of a Winning Life to express the truth about the inner strength that motivated him to succeed in the sports arena. He said that real strength comes from the inside, from knowing that God is in control and that he empowers you to exert a strong influence for righteousness in your environment, one person at a time or millions at a time. When the Indianapolis Colts won the Super Bowl, Tony Dungy used the platform of the post-game celebration to speak to millions of people about his faith in Jesus Christ. His book is a number one bestseller, and he has published a men's Bible study along with it as well. Tony's motivation was not simply to win championships with his football team, which he did accomplish. He said, quote, I really wanted to show people you can win all kinds of ways for your faith to be more important than your job. We all know that's the way it should be. I'm not afraid to say it, end quote. Christian athletes have a unique opportunity to become role models, not only for excellence in their sport, but for the way they live their lives to extend kingdom principles and influence those who appreciate their success. 
their fan base as well as fellow athletes can become their promised land where they can sow seeds of truth and life and reap a great harvest of souls. Arts and Culture There are some who would concede the arts arena to the devil. They are convinced that people really want to listen to vile lyrics and lewd songs, that they are determined to view lustful, forbidden scenes for pleasure. Yet, as in every other arena, many people are making choices based on what is popular and cool. When Christian leaders dare to invade with authority the devil's domain with the uplifting, hopeful, and redemptive ideas and attitudes of the kingdom, people listen. A group of young people in our church were looking for a way to influence other young people, so they decided to look for an arena that would be of interest to youth. They developed a game much like the board game Monopoly. They called it University of Life Games. The game is played so that if you follow the wrong set of life principles, you go to prison, get hooked on drugs, or even go to hell. On the other hand, if you follow the correct kingdom set of principles, this will lead to your health, prosperity, and eternal life. Through this game, a lot of young people have discovered the truth about peace with God and living a Christian life. University of Life Games addresses issues of developing your abilities and talents, making friends, becoming a leader, and even learning the possibilities of financial development. It helps young people believe in themselves and develop their personalities to influence the world. The goal is to help the youth to find their goals and dreams and fulfill them. So successful has been the game, University of Life Games, that is now a Ukraine-wide youth movement, having gathered more than 5,000 young people who have played the game and bought it. University of Life Games has opened doors for young people in 12 countries. The game is played at corporate training sessions, business parties and home parties, and many other small group situations. It is a training program based on modern methods of developing practical skills in effective communication, management, team building, public speaking, and practical business undertakings. The University of Life Credit Union is a ministry and training in stable financial structures. It proclaims the values of God's kingdom regarding financial markets and serves people who want training in finance and starting small businesses. Another success story involving the arts involves Sergei, a former casino owner who received Christ and wanted to discover his promised land to redeem it for the kingdom. He was interested in the arts and decided to produce a movie that would illustrate the principles of the kingdom, especially for youth. His first film, titled One for All, was fast-paced and funny, yet demonstrated the serious principles of Jesus giving his life for all of humanity. This movie became the most popular youth film for 2005, attracting a fan club of over 12 million people. There is no territory on earth that cannot be redeemed and restored to the king. When believers truly accept the challenge to discover their promised land, they will be surprised at the influence they can have against the encroachment of the evil one on the minds and hearts of lost sheep. As co-laborers with Christ, we have all the resources of heaven at our disposal. He conquered the forces of darkness on the cross. It is our assignment to enforce the victory of Calvary and turn the minds of people from darkness to that wonderful light. No assignment is too difficult. Just as leaven does its silent, invisible work, so are we to be on the earth as agents of redemption. Media and Entertainment Closely related to the arts and culture, the media and entertainment sphere is just as controversial for many Christians. Unbelievers who often mock religion dominate it. Some even engage in blasphemous tirades against God they do not believe exists. 
Believers should shun this form of entertainment. But that does not mean that believers should exclude themselves from invading this arena to use this platform for reclaiming territory for the kingdom of God. For example, beauty pageants have become a platform for some beautiful Christian young ladies to share their philosophy of life and use their influence to win others to the message of the kingdom. Lika, a beautiful young lady, had attended our church since she was eight years old. As she matured, she began to understand that it was God who had given her the beauty that people attributed to her. She realized that she could make it a platform for giving her testimony and using her influence to share the principles of the kingdom. So, she entered the national beauty pageant at the last minute and gave God all the glory for her favor to become the reigning Miss Ukraine 2007. She has used her national exposure to be a lovely spokesperson in the various media outlets, sharing freely the principles of the kingdom of love. The Increase of the Kingdom of God Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 7 As you seek to know God and his destiny for your life, you will enter into an exciting adventure of finding your promised land. And you will begin to walk in his divine power to extend the kingdom throughout the earth. God prophesied his passion for a restoration of his kingdom through Isaiah. He saw into the heart the pain, the burden of God for the future of the world. God said things are not going to continue as they have always been, with Satan walking the earth and ruling indiscriminately, bringing destruction to God's creation. There is a time coming when God shall arise in his glory and his enemies shall be scattered. That time would be signified when he sent his son, Isaiah 9, 6. And because of that event, a new day would be restored to the earth. The kingdom of glory that was lost on the face of the earth was going to begin to be restored. From the time Jesus came and began to preach the kingdom of heaven, his divine government would progressively grow and increase, and that increase would know no end. Through his death and resurrection at Calvary, that government of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, Romans 14, 17, was established, and it will one day rule the earth. That is the passion in the heart of God. So Jesus brought the kingdom and preached it during his ministry on earth. As he prepared to return to his father, he established the citizens of the kingdom, the church. It was intended to be a vehicle for restoring the kingdom principles and lifestyle on the earth. The earth will only be redeemed back to its rightful owner through the good news of the kingdom. So Jesus brought the kingdom and he declared to us that he had brought good news, that we could be transferred into the kingdom and extend the reign and dominion of God throughout the earth. Jesus declared that the kingdom of God is within us and that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. His church is the instrument for what Isaiah prophesied. As believers, we are ordained to work and live for the increase of his government and dominion on the earth. He designed the church to specifically facilitate the increase of his kingdom. We need to realize that the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom is not represented by an ecclesiastical expression of religious traditions. The church is established to equip believers to discern the kingdom of God and extend his domain throughout the earth. The equipping ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is responsible to help believers carry the kingdom values and lifestyle into the world with grace. 
proficiency, ability, wisdom, and strength. In this way, the kingdom will be extended, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I invite you to pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I acknowledge that your kingdom dwells within me, that Christ in me is the hope of glory. Please help me in my journey to know you and to discover the specific strategy you have for my life. Let me be filled with the zeal of the Lord to extend your kingdom throughout the earth in the sphere of influence to which you have called me. I determine to seek you until I hear your voice giving me direction and empowering me to believe your word. Thank you for saving me. Help me to walk in faith in your word to fulfill my destiny and become an effective laborer in the end-time harvest. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 7 Number 1. The mandate of the church is to promote kingdom expansion throughout the earth. Number 2. When the kingdom leaves the church, the church stops living for herself. Number 3. There is nothing wrong with the harvest. It will come in if the workers go out into the fields. Number four, lost sheep are scattered because the people who are supposed to shepherd them are not aware of their responsibility as believers. Number five, the goal of believers is to be God carriers into their place of employment, which is primarily a platform for sharing the love of Jesus Christ and extending the principles of the kingdom. Number six, My assignment as a pastor is to get rid of my parishioners, to get them out of the pews. No one has a calling to sit in the pews of a church. The only calling we have is to go. Number seven, whatever ill of society you see that you think needs to be addressed indicates that you have a burden for that area of need. It is likely your promised land. Number eight, The fact that you earn money from your business simply means that God gave you the opportunity and talent to serve Him in the arena of business. Number nine, when Christian leaders dare to invade with authority the devil's domain with the uplifting, hopeful, and redemptive ideas and attitudes of the kingdom, people listen. Number ten, the church is established to equip believers to discern the kingdom of God and extend its dominion throughout the earth.